Hey John, this is Larry with Follow Me and Die. I just got done with your episode on your experience running White Star. I really like uh, White Star, as you say, it's a very simple toolbox, and I like how for ship to ship or vehicle combat, he abstracted the regular combat instead of inventing a whole separate system just for vehicle to vehicle combat. Um, so I really like that, and that graveyard at Lus, I used that. In a convention game I ran a few years ago, I like how that generates a location where there was a battle of some sort and the getting from one ship to another and other hijinks that can ensue from that is a lot of fun. Glad you had a good time running that. Thanks for the call in, Larry. Yeah, as you said, I really had a great time running White Star at the UK Games Expo. Entirely agree with what you're saying. It's a great toolkit for running simple sci-fi games, and it really shows the versatility of the, the pretty basic sort of standard OSR rule set. You know, you can do an awful lot with it by reskinning and putting a certain slant on it without having to write scads of new rules or bring in lots of subsystems. I think the author did a fantastic job with it, and I'm pretty sure I'm going to run it again in the future. Thanks very much for the call in, Larry. Hey, John, this is Larry with Follow Me and Die. I just listened to your episode on the Stars Without Number faction turn. I really like Stars Without Number. I backed the reprint Kickstarter for the second edition, or not the reprint, but the second edition Kickstarter. Um, and I really like how there's a system to help you keep track of what the different factions in your setting are doing. I've thought about, as you've discussed, putting together something for more generic or with a fantasy lean to it, but I haven't gotten very far with that. Um, I'd be interested to see what you come up with. I think that's a great idea to take the major factions in a city or region in your campaign and have things happen behind the scenes with a more organized um, methodology. Looking forward to what you come up with. Thanks again. That was Larry Hamilton from Follow Me and Die podcast. I highly recommend you check that out. Well worth a listen. Yeah, absolutely love the idea of faction terms, Larry, and using it to represent sort of things going on in the background, like organizations, factions, and stuff like that, maneuvering, following their own goals, etc., I'm really looking forward to running my Midlands Great London game in July, so starting in the first week of July. One of the things, and I really enjoy the sort of city games, you know, having a base of operations, getting to build up a stable of NPCs and all the sort of politicking and sort of undercurrents of tension you can get going in a sort of game like that. But one of the things I have found challenging in the past and that I'm hoping Faction Turns will help me with is often it can be very sort of labor intensive or very difficult to to pin down exactly what a, a particular faction is up to at a particular time and you can sort of bluff your way through it or you can only really deal with factions when the the players get involved but i don't think that creates like a sense of verisimilitude for the the campaign setting i really want great london when i run it which is an excellent book i've seen a writer's copy and i want a game that's worthy 
of that book because there's some great stuff in it. I want it to feel like a living, breathing setting. So when the player characters inevitably get involved or stick the boot in or put a spanner in the works of the plans of a particular faction, I don't want it to feel like, oh, this faction pretty much didn't exist until you like were interested in it. I want it to feel like this faction's been doing shit in the background and the players have just sort of interrupted whatever they were doing at that particular time. And I'm hoping faction turns can help me out with that. Now, it is going to require a bit of sort of rejigging and reskinning in order for me to use it for the sort of fantasy version. However, I think it shouldn't be too difficult. I just need to find like a few hours to sit down and actually start hashing out a few ideas. Not likely this week, so I'm quite busy. I'm away LARPing at the weekend, but I'm hoping at some point next week, so I've got the Monday off, maybe I can sit down and start sort of hashing out a few ideas. And I'll probably put those up on my blog at www.reddicediaries.com as and when I start doing those. So have a look. Let me know what you think, Larry. Thanks again for the call. Catch you soon. Hi, John, it's Colin. Um, Just calling, I've got a bit of a favour to ask. I'm looking to put together an episode about being a good player. I've done something similar before, but this is a little bit different. And I was after kind of some GM perspectives on what they think or or aspects of player behaviour that they think makes a good game uh, or a good session. You know, what is it that you look for in a player i know it's not as simple as that but you know what makes you happy as a gm when you see it in a player if that makes any sense i've done a bad job of explaining it but i feel sure you know what i'm talking about and if you could perhaps do us a call in that'd be awesome don't feel obliged you know if you've got a second uh that'd be very cool hope you're well mate i'll catch you later That's Colin Green there, emerging from the Spike Pit, another great podcast, another legendary anchorite. It's it's a really interesting idea you've asked there, Colin. Um, What sort of qualities do I think are desirable in a in a player from a GM perspective? Now, I'll send you a copy of this message as well, but I wanted to put it in the episode because I think it is a really great question. I would say. First and foremost, to me, one of the things I look for is commitment in a player character, and I'll be touching on that in the main state of this episode. But I think if you've, and also in, to go hand in hand with that, enthusiasm for a game. If you've got a player who's committed, like they're going to turn up regularly, they're going to put in the effort to do that, they're going to make it work with their schedule and they're enthusiastic for the game, you can work round or smooth out an awful lot of other stuff. To be honest, I'd far rather have someone who's like maybe not the best role player in the world, but they're enthusiastic and they turn up session after session rather than someone who's great when they turn up, but they only make sort of like a session once in a blue moon. So those two would be first and foremost to me. I suppose second or third, depending on how you look at it, would be someone who is proactive in terms of the game session. So that's basically someone who's not just going to sort of sit around, sort of twiddle their thumbs 
and not really knowing what to do. They're going to actually engage with the world, create goals for their character, and go out and try and do stuff. Because a session where the group all sits around and doesn't really do much is a dull and often boring session. Now, that doesn't mean you have to be kicking down doors and fighting monsters and whatever. It could just be someone who has discussions with NPCs, someone who gets involved in other stuff. There's many different ways to be proactive, but someone who actively wants to engage with the setting and the game is another great quality. Aside from that, I would say another desirable player quality is someone who's got a little bit of give and take who can get on with the rest of the group and who understands that their enjoyment isn't the be all and end all of a session now what do i mean by that well i mean someone who understands that the spotlight isn't going to be on them or their character 100 percent of the time and even better if you've got someone who actively works to help put the spotlight on other people and bring people into the game. So, for example, if your player character's got a particular bit of plot you're getting involved in, the more sort of you can bring other players' characters into it, the more the spotlight's going to be on you as a group, rather than if you go off on your own, the jam has to keep like moving between you all. So you're actually doing yourself a disservice if you want to look at it from a mercenary point of view but also by bringing other people in they're more likely to bring you in on their plot you're cementing the group closer together you're getting everyone involved you're creating a sort of a sense of community and also you're generally improving the game i think finally i could go on i could go on with this for absolutely ages colin and if you do want anyone to sort of like chip in directly or guest spot in this episode just holler at me and i'll be quite happy to do so but the final one i'll do for this is i'm going to say you another desirable quality is someone who knows when it's appropriate to disagree with the gm and when i say that i'm not saying that the gm is always right or anything like that however if you've got a, if I make a ruling in a game and you disagree with it, the time unless it's absolutely vital, which is probably not because it's a game after all, the time to bring up your disagreement is not in the middle of the session, especially if you're in a high action or sort of tense scene, because that will grind that shit to a halt and cause the pace of the game to plummet faster than almost anything I know. No, the best way to deal with that is to wait till after the game, have a quiet word of it, and then we can work something out for the future going forward, causing a minimal disruption to the actual session of a game. And I think there's certain players who understand that, there's certain players who don't, and I vastly prefer the players who do understand that. I certainly know that I wouldn't expect a session to put itself on pause while I like hashed out any disagreement I had with the GM. I'd just either get in touch with them via social media or whatever, or speak to them afterwards, and we could sort it out then. Because to be honest, at the end of the day, the absolute worst thing you're going to face in a session is your character dying or losing a bit of kit. And... It's not the end of the world. It's not going to stop me enjoying playing a game. So there we are, Colin. There's a few of my desirable player qualities. I hope that's answered a bit of your question. Like I say, if you want anything else, feel free to give me a shout. 
and I'll get in touch with you. I'll put my thinking cap on and have more of a think about that. So that was a call in from Colin Green from the Spike Pit. Recommend you go over and listen to his podcast. Thanks again, Colin. Welcome to the Red Dice Diaries. I'm your host, John Allen Lodge. And in this episode, I'm going to talk about how lack of enthusiasm can strike and a little bit about what you can do about it. Okay, so in this episode, I'm going to talk about how lack of enthusiasm can strike even the stoutest of GM's hearts. And I'm going to just muse a little bit about what you can actually do about that. So if you're anything like me, you probably put an awful lot of effort into preparing and running your RPG sessions. Now, this isn't necessarily to say that everyone does the same amount of prep or that you spend days feverishly working over your session notes. I'm well aware that a lot of the work of actually preparing for an RPG session takes place in the GM's mind, and you may well have numerous play aids to help you out when it comes to actually getting the ideas that you've got for this great session onto the table and in front of your players. However, it's still a lot of effort. It still requires a lot of thought to actually run an RPG. And that's not even taking into account the effort that actually takes place at the table when you've got all the players around, when you're actually running the game. And to be honest, even getting the players organized, getting them to commit to a a certain time scale or to regularly attending sessions can also be a bit of a nightmare. I mean, that's why I think when you see adverts online for people looking for games, it's most often people wanting to be a player in a game rather than volunteering to GM a game because GMing is a lot of work you only need to look at how many sort of YouTube clips podcasts blogs etc there are out there all talking about the craft of GMing so I suppose what I'm trying to say in my typically long and rambling fashion is that although being a GM is very enjoyable it can also be quite tiring and a hell of a lot of work. Now, that's not to discourage you. I would recommend anyone in this wide world, if you've had the vaguest interest in RPGs, you should pick up the books at least once and run a game. And that's you I'm talking to there, Danny McGee. You know what I'm talking about. I think everyone benefits from sitting on the GM's side of the screen at least once or twice in their RPG careers, if you want to call it that. Since, if nothing else, it gives you a greater appreciation for what regular GMs have to go through. So, this is where we come to the main meat of this episode. The fact that because there's so much effort going in, it can sometimes seem like a bit of an uphill struggle to actually get all the players together, get a group gelling well, put create a campaign setting if you're doing that, choose a rule system, uh, prepare your virtual tabletop or your miniatures or whatever you're using, whether you use them or not. 
uh, and then to actually run the sessions, keep people in touch between games, produce handouts, all that sort of rigmarole that goes along with running the traditional session. It can seem very much like an uphill struggle. You start to feel like that, so at some point like that young lad in the oh-so-famous Hovis advert with Dvorak's New World Symphony playing in the background as he pushes that bloody bike up a hill that I've been pushing for 50 years, delivering bread to top of the world, or whatever it is that he says. And that can lead to you becoming disheartened at times. Especially if, like, I've had this recently myself. Um, I've had, I'm preparing for a game that I'm running in the first week of July, a Midlands Greater London game. Now, unfortunately, we've had to have a couple of players who've had to bow out of that game. And this is not to disparage those players in any way because they have very real and sort of palpable reasons for doing that. They approached the fact they needed to step away from the game very maturely got in touch with me in advance we talked about it absolutely fine i have no ill feelings towards them at all however given the amount of effort i'd already put in having sort of a couple of people bow out in fairly quick succession was disheartening i'm not going to lie and you sort of look at how much work you've already put in and things like that don't really inspire you to want to press on with it. But if you're in this situation, I encourage you as one GM to another, just try and work through that. Throw yourself into the prep. Pick an aspect of your game that really sings to you. So for me, it was working with some of the, the excellent maps that Glenn Seal from Monkeywood Design has produced putting them onto my virtual tabletop it was making some tokens preparing some dungeon maps stuff like that that's stuff i really enjoy and throwing myself into that aspect of the planning really sort of buoyed my spirit and got me back to an even kill and sort of fanned the sparks of my enthusiasm for running this game another thing to do is to speak to the players who are which is what i did to speak to the players who are sort of still going to be able to play the game and get try and get their creative juices flowing try and get them enthusiastic about the game as well because that sort of cycle of enthusiasm feeds itself if all the players are enthusiastic and they're talking about ideas that feeds back to you as the gm it really makes you want to run the game it really makes you want to get on with it to crack on and produce the best game that you can and this is the sort of thing i've been doing to get myself over that rocky patch and there's no need to be ashamed if you as a GM go through a bit of a rocky patch like that. I sometimes think as GMs, we're often our own worst critics. And I know I am. I'm always sort of trying to analyse how well my previous sessions went, comparing one game I run against another, which, to be honest, probably isn't really a very healthy thing to do. A certain amount of sort of feedback and sort of self-reflection is necessary because making mistakes is how you learn how you improve and if you don't sort of consider what went well and what didn't go well i think it's going to take you a lot longer if ever for you to improve as a gm however beyond a certain point it can be a dangerous thing because you're always casting your games in an unfavorable light or oh, this bit of the game wasn't as good as the previous one 
or it didn't measure up to my favourite campaign, or I don't think it was as good as X, Y, and Z's games that they ran. And we've certainly seen a lot of this with people sort of comparing their own games unfavourably to the the more famous sort of show-like games that run on YouTube and stuff like that. And to be honest, as far as I'm concerned, that's not the fucking point. It doesn't matter if your game doesn't measure up to like a critical role or whatever. And that's not to disparage those shows because I'm sure they do. I don't watch them, but I'm sure they do a great job and they're very popular with people. But if you run your own game and it's not, you don't feel it's as good as that, that doesn't matter. You're not trying to make a show for a vast audience of people in the main. What matters is, did you as the GM enjoy running that game? Did you learn a few things by running that game? Did your players enjoy playing that game? And as long as those are true, there really is no need to beat yourself up about all the things that went wrong. And there will be things that go wrong. Even now, I've, I have I don't I should have think how many hours I've put in as a GM over the years. I mean, looking at um, the amount of hours I spent just on Roll20 is a bit of an eye-opening experience. Never mind all of the various other sort of virtual tabletops and the sort of face-to-face sessions that I've run. However, I, I, I still make mistakes even now in games. But the idea isn't to beat yourself up about them. Just make a note of them and keep them in your mind and try and see what you can do about them in the next game. You might not sort out those problems in your next game. It might be the game after or the game after that. And as, But as long as you're sort of moving forward and you're sort of improving a little bit by little bit, eventually you'll look back at sessions you ran years earlier and you will see a tremendous difference in the quality of your GMing from your distant past to the present day. And I don't think that's a journey you ever really stop learning on. So if you ever find yourself in one of these rough spots or you find your enthusiasm flagging, push through, focus on what you enjoy, focus on how much your players enjoy a game and don't beat yourself up over small errors or problems. And I promise you, you will run a good game and your players, and more importantly, yourself, will enjoy it. So I hope you've enjoyed listening to this short rant slash episode. If you want to get in touch with me, you can contact me at reddicediaries at gmail.com. My blog is at www.reddicediaries.com. And you can find me on all the social media. Or if you're using the Anchor app, you can hit me up and leave me a voicemail message, which may get read out in a future episode. I really do enjoy listening to those. So until I see you next time, take care and whatever you're playing and running, enjoy yourselves and have fun.